Is there anybody here that has never been angry? I know that I have. <laughs> and I don't know many people who haven't been angry before. And uh, the one thing I can say from personal experience is that anger is very deceptive and it's very destructive. Now there's a few people that have experienced righteous anger. But most of us deal with outbursts of anger that comes from our flesh. There's still some that anger has become their habitual way of responding to things in life they don't like. And then there's still even other people where anger has had a root in their life so long, the only way you can describe them is as an angry person. And there's a danger to that because Hebrews talks about let no one come short of the grace of God and let any root of bitterness grow up within you, defiling many. Bitterness that comes from long-term anger is a contagious spiritual disease and it impacts people around us. So anger is a very serious issue for believers. And I wanna jump into the text immediately this morning. Turn to Ephesians chapter four. We're studying the book of Ephesians. And I'm gonna talk about the two sides of anger I just mentioned. The deceptive side of anger and the destructive side of anger. We're gonna be in Ephesians 4, verse 26. And um, whatever instruments you're using, whether it be a book, a phone, an iPad, to get there, I'll give you a second to get there. And this is what it says, starting in verse 26. We're talking about the deceptive side of anger first. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Be angry and yet do not sin. I'm going to present to you two ways that I think that anger is deceptive. And the first one is this. Some people think that all anger is sin. According to this scripture, it says, be angry and yet do not sin. There's a difference between a righteous anger and a sinful anger. And Jesus described a righteous anger when he cleansed out the temple. And so there is a righteous anger. And that normally comes because it's directed at sin. Uh, things that offend God and break his word. Anger about abuse, about abortion, about injustices, about porn, about things that really offend God. And that, that's a righteous anger when I'm angry about the things that are offensive to God. But there's another kind of righteous anger, and that's when people personally and deeply sin against us. And anger is a very normal and actually a proper, it's the way we're made. And so there's a place for anger when people have come against us and have hurt us deeply or betrayed us deeper. And you know how it goes. The deeper the relationship, the deeper the hurt. <laughs> somebody out there you don't even know hurts you, you blow it off. But somebody close to you hurts you, it gets deeper and the wound hurts more and the betrayal goes deeper. So the first thing we need to realize about anger 
is the deception of it, of thinking that every time I'm angry, I'm in sin. That's not the case. There is some righteous anger. But there's a second way I think that there's a deception to anger, and it's what I call self-righteous anger. (laughs) Not righteous anger, but self-righteous anger, where you feel that you have got a right to be angry and to hang on to this anger because somebody really did offend you. Uh, We saw this um, actually in the book of Jonah. If you remember, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians were just the worst people in the world at that time. And and God had uh, written in his word that they were gonna come against and be used as a tool of his to judge Israel. And Jonah was sent as a prophet to them. And Jonah was actually angry at God's compassion (laughs) uh, to the Chaldeans because the wicked people they were. And I remember God in the last chapter, Jonah said this, and do you have a right to be angry, Jonah? And guess what Jonah's response was? I sure do, God. (laughs) And God, as only God can do, kind of showed him, you have no ground to stand on with your anger, Jonah. You see, people like this never deal with their anger because they're so busy defending their right to be angry. You following me? This person really did hurt me. I do have a right to be angry. And so what they do is they hang on to this anger, defending their right to be angry. And so they're blinded to their own anger by their justifications to be angry. Now they don't see it. They think it's all right. But I tell you what, those around you see it. And those around you feel the destruction that it brings. Now the rest of this verse balances these out between a righteous anger and what I'll call an unrighteous anger, which means do not sin. Look back at the text. As we finish this, it says this. Be angry, yes, there's a righteous anger, and yet do not sin. That's the unrighteous anger. Then he says this. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Yes, there is a righteous anger, but no, we don't have a right to hang on to that anger. We need to deal with it quickly. Um, You know, a practice that we've tried to do, Kim and I, and you know, is when, when there's these things that get us upset, they're trying to resolve it before the day's over because it's when I don't, I, I remember, I see it. I feel, I remember, you know, I go to bed angry. I'm not going to deal with this. I'm kind of like this. I wake up in the morning, I'm shaving in front of the mirror and what was anger the night before was becoming rage in the morning as in my mind, I was just, you know, just blown up what is going on. And what God is saying here is that you need to deal with your anger quickly. Now, that doesn't mean this, that if at three o'clock in the afternoon, you find out that your closest friend or your mate has deeply, deeply sinned against you and betrayed you or maybe even was unfaithful to you, that by the time the sun goes down in three or four hours, you need to have this resolved. That's just, that, 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 that isn't what this is saying. The figure is saying, yes, 
for those smaller sins, deal with them quick. But when you get into the big stuff, he is saying this, you better deal with it quickly. Let, let, let me try to illustrate. Here's the offense right here. And, and, and there's a response, which this is a timeline now. There's a response from the time of the offense to right here that says that response of anger is righteous. You're angry, as the first part of the verse says, but not sinning. Now, the size of this offense determines the timetable. Uh, you know, just a little offense, get angry, go catch that real quick, hopefully in a few seconds, few minutes, few hours, whatever, I, I'm responding. And all that is, is still in the righteous reign. And, and if the sins are getting bigger and bigger, it may take a few days, it may take a few weeks, it may take months. I don't know what it is. I'm not here to try to define where the line is. All I know is there's a line that says the response to what has happened in my life and the sin that has hurt me, or even an offense against God, that uh, we, our response within this realm is righteous. But in the timetable, if we hang on to that response longer than righteous anger, it becomes unrighteous anger. And it really becomes the place where destruction comes in. So yes, there's a righteous response of anger. And again, the size of the offense determines the timeline of when that anger is still righteous. But there's a point when that, unright when that righteous anger can turn into unrighteous anger because we're hanging on to it longer than God says we should be hanging on to it. And that's where we come into our second point the destruction that anger can bring when our righteous anger turns into unrighteous anger. Look at verse 27. I want you to note the first word in this verse is the word and. It's a simple word that says this. Verse 27 is connected to verse 26 and it completes the thought of verse 26. You can't separate these two verses from one another and take them by themselves. You need to take them together to understand the truth that God is trying to communicate to us. So let me read that and note the connection between the two verses. Be angry, yes, yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Did you hear that? <laughs> Did you see the connection? When you have got a habit, a habitual response of anger, when you become an angry person, when you've hung on to your anger beyond the time when it is righteous, Satan gets an opportunity to work not only in your life, but to work his destruction through you to those around you. I'm gonna tell you something. Satan wants us to get this whole anger thing wrong. He doesn't want us to understand the truths we learn in these two verses. He wants us to go on ignorant about these things because he doesn't want you to understand these truths so he can continue to have an opportunity to work in your life. What I'm gonna share from here out 
is probably things you don't hear in the normal counselor's office when you go in to talk to them about anger. There may be some Christian counselors that would address this, and I, I trust they do. But uh, we need to understand that long-term anger, deep anger, habitual responses of anger, hanging on to anger, gives Satan an opportunity to work his destruction in us and through us. The word opportunity in this verse means literally a place. It means it gives Satan a place in my life. It means I give Satan a place to stand and to work out of in my life. Anger that is hung on to and is deep-rooted and becomes my natural response becomes a base of operation. For those of the military world would understand that a base of operation from which Satan can do his work. Let me try to illustrate this. I remember sitting up at Silver Birch Ranch many years ago in hearing about the fact that Iraq had invaded Kuwait City. Took Kuwait by surprise, took the world by surprise. And I remember going and getting a TV that night and watching the tanks coming in and the troops coming in and watching the destruction that they were working. They were looting uh, businesses and taking property for themselves. They were raping the women. They were gangs of men beating up the men on the streets. And they were setting things on fire and destroying it. It was just an absolute horrible mess. And so here they came in that first day, and that's what we saw. But the world did not respond until January, which was about five or six months later. Now, I'm not here to critique what the world did because everybody was surprised by it, and it takes time to, to, for things to happen. But the reality is, is that during those five or six months, this is what Iraq was doing. They were bringing in more troops and they were bringing in more ammunition. And they were digging out bunkers all around Kuwait City and they continued to work their destruction and to loot things and rape people and beat people up. It was just a terrible time. Then in January, when the world responded, within six weeks, they had Kuwait back. But what had happened is Iraq had built a base of operation, a place where they could operate from right there in Kuwait, Kuwait City and around it with their bunkers and their more troops and their ammunition. And this became the place from which they could work. And brothers and sisters, it's the same thing with anger. It's the exact same truth. When we have anger, our self-righteous anger, which we're defending and hanging on to, when we have a habitual um, pattern of anger, when we have become, we're angry so long that we become an angry person, Satan has a place to work out of your heart and your life. And what happens here is this, the longer you hold it, what happens? The more troops that come in, the more ammunition that he gets, the more bunkers he builds into my life, the more looting 
and destruction and raping of my soul and my relationships. He does through my heart. Anger gives Satan a place to stand and work his destruction in our lives. This is serious stuff. And you know what we learned then? We've got two problems. Our first problem is anger. Guess what's been added to that problem? Demons. Satanic warfare. Because now, Satan, <laughs> and maybe it's been weeks, maybe it's been months, maybe it's been years, during that time, Satan is bringing in more troops and he's bringing in more ammunition and he's, bringing, he's digging more bunkers into my life and he's doing all kinds of destruction in me and through me to people and to relationships that I touch because he's found a place to work. And so people have got two problems they have to deal with. Now I don't just have to deal with my anger. I got to deal with the demonic strongholds that are also there. And this is what I want to tell you. You will never find freedom until you resist the devil and confess your sin. There's a lot of people that are confessing their sins and they have been going to counselors, they've been reading books, they got friends holding them accountable, and all they've done is they've inched, kind of like going back and forth, you know, this thing, anger, and now I've learned how to manage it better. But they've never really been set free. And anger is a hold that is in their hearts. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 12. Uh, let me give you the context before I tell you what he said. Uh, there was a man who was demon-possessed, he was blind, and he was mute. And Jesus healed this man. And the Pharisees said, hey, you cast out demons by the prince of demons, Beezable. And so Jesus came back to them and said, any house standing against itself, dividing itself, never stand. Satan would try to defeat Satan's work here. Matter of fact, he says, what you just saw is the kingdom of God just came upon you. Then Jesus taught a principle of spiritual warfare that is so crucial here with anger or any other sin that we have let fester in our life for years. And listen to what Jesus said. After he said this in verse 28, but if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. Let me tell you what that means. You might say, what, what, what was that all about? The strong man in this context is Satan. The plunder he had taken from that man was his eyes and his mouth. And Jesus said, if you don't first bind the strong man, let's say this is the house right here, this piano, and here's the strong man standing in front of it who happens to be bigger and stronger than me, that's called Satan and demons. He says, if you don't first bind them, you can never get into the house to take the goods 
that they had stolen from your life, your mind, your will and emotions because of this anger and all the other stuff. You can never get in to get to it until you first bind the strong man. You have to bind Satan before you can go in and take the goods that he's taken out of your life. And that's exactly what he's saying here. And there's so many people who have been angry for years, busy justifying it, blinded by their justifications, defending it, rather than dealing with it and confronting it. And some of those that have been dealing with it have never first dealt with a strong man. And once he's bound, we can go take the goods that he stole from us. This is an important principle in dealing with so many issues that go on in our heart, but especially anger. I'm gonna be doing a series here after Easter on spiritual warfare. We'll come back to this principle. In spiritual warfare, they call this ground. Satan's got a ground to stand on. He's got a place to work, a base of operation. There's other things in scripture that's revealed as ground for Satan to work. But the longer he has that ground, the more destruction and bondage he keeps a person in. Jesus has already won the war. He's already shed his blood to make an open display of the victory that he had over Satan. He's got a name that every knee must bow to. And his authority, according to Ephesians 1, he has shared with us where he's seated not only above, but far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age, but in the one to come. The good news is this. I'm not bigger than the strong man, but Jesus is. And greater is he who is in me than he that's in the world. And he's given us everything we need to bind the strong man. But brothers and sisters, we got to use it. <laughs> As I, I, I tell people, it isn't what you know that transforms your life. It's what you apply of what you know. And so many, yeah, there is, but you know what? God has given us the tools, the weapons of the warfare to win the, the blood, the name, the authority. And the means we use is to resist the devil standing firm in our faith, resisting him, looking for Jesus to bind the strong man, take back the goods he's stolen. And you know, there was a person here at Moraine that was really struggling with anger. And I, I, I really felt that this anger really fit this verse. Satan seemed to have this person in bondage. No matter what they tried to do, they, they just didn't seem to get free. And I prayed for a year at the least, probably closer to a year and a half, on a daily basis, God led me to pray for this person to bind Satan in the name of Jesus, in the authority of Jesus, and by the blood of Jesus. And God set them free. And I'm gonna let them tell you the story themselves. Put your eyes on the screen as we hear the story. Church, I am grateful to God for this opportunity to share my personal story of God's deliverance from the stronghold of anger in my life 30 years ago. Anger is a topic that unfortunately is not discussed or dealt with openly among nice, respectable Christians within the church. 
Anger is one of those silent sins of the heart that can be masked very well. It remains silent until it is left undealt with long enough that it allows Satan to form a base of operation in your heart and soul. As author Peter Scazzaro terms it, it begins to leak out of you at given times. Sarcastic remarks, nasty tone of voice, critical spirit, harsh words, or even the silent treatment, and eventually will erupt in outbursts and rage and cause destruction within your home, marriage, and in your other relationships. Anger can be defined as that raw, excessive emotion or passion caused by a sense of injury or when wronged or wounded. My story begins 35 years ago when I was a 31-year-old mother of two little girls, a four-year-old and a one-year-old. It was 1985 and Pat had just graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary. Our home church, Moraine Valley, offered him a position on staff and we moved back to Chicago at the end of October. These first five years of ministry became what can be described as the dark night of the soul for me. As the following events took place and overlapped one another with little reprieve, the anger that began as a spark continued to grow over time. As we prepared our move, an underlying resentment within me began to rear its ugly head when the reality that Pat was able to follow his dream job and my heart's longtime desire to train in law enforcement had been squelched early on in our relationship. The home we bought had environmental allergens, so the girls and I became extremely sick when we arrived. Add to that, the movers had arrived with broken furniture and somehow lost the girls' favorite toys. Once we settled into our home, we began to experience much spiritual warfare. Our oldest daughter began having unspeakable night terrors, and the many demonic activities taking place in our home did not cease. No matter how hard we tried to put the armor on of God and prayed spiritual warfare prayers and bound Satan. Pastor Bill Mills gathered some elders to come for an evening and pray over us. There seemed to be a brief calm before the storm. And then Pat began to experience spiritual warfare attacks on himself. This spiritual battle was unlike any other that we had ever experienced. It left us drained emotionally and spiritually. On a separate occasion, when returning home from a meeting at church, we found one of our daughters had been sexually abused and threatened by a trusted babysitter. The guilt of leaving my daughters that night and returning to see my daughter's face white as a ghost and body trembling was excruciating. This was the pivotal point when my anger escalated. I gave birth to our third daughter in 1987 and between hormones, sleep deprivation, and the anger within, I was a complete hot mess of, evo of emotions. The final event was the leadership that I grew up with and greatly loved and respected, some of which were extended family members, attacked Pastor Bill Johnson and his character. 
It caused a division in the church, which resulted in an ugly church split. Watching the church leaders' behavior and then the pain that Bill and Marion walked through deeply affected me as a believer in Christ and a minister's wife. My world, both spiritually and emotionally, was crumbling. If this is what ministry entailed, I wasn't sure I wanted to live with all of this oppression. As a result, I was depleted of all the joy I once knew. My adventurous, fun-loving spirit died, and I withdrew from people in ministry. I felt defeated and out of control. I was like a raging bull who was a stranger to herself. I would continually confess my sinful outbursts of anger to God, but never felt totally forgiven, nor was I delivered from it. One morning, I blew up and was so out of control that I scared myself. I announced that I was going to leave Pat and the girls before I destroyed them emotionally and destroyed the ministry for Pat. Pat and I began to pray that God would reveal the root of this anger and bring deliverance to me. There was a temporary time of relief. A few months later, on a Sunday morning, another unpleasant outburst took place. This time, my outburst infuriated Pat. We arrived at church fuming and disturbed with one another. Close friends sensed the conflict, and they invited us to their home after the service. I resisted at first and then complied. As I began to share for the very first time with this friend, she said to me, Kim, I know you believe God is sovereign and in control of your life, but could it be that you are really angry at God for what he has dealt out to you in life? My first response was an emphatic, no, I'm not angry at God. I'm angry at these people in those situations of great hurt and disappointment. Besides, good Christians don't get angry at God. As I took time to process what I said, I sensed the Spirit of God opening the eyes of my heart to realize I was truly angry at God, even though I never felt direct anger at Him. This time, as I bowed before God, I confessed that my anger and sinful heart was directed toward Him for allowing all these situations to take place in my life. For the first time, I confessed the root of my anger was at God, rather than confessing the different manifestations of that anger that poured out on others. At that time, I felt total forgiveness and a supernatural release of all this anger. John 8, 36 says, He who the Son sets free is free indeed. I began to experience the joy of the Lord once again. My adventurous spirit and love for life returned, along with the peace and laughter that was restored to our household. Now when I experience momentary anger, I've learned to recognize it and immediately face it head on and then confess it as sin through prayer. I learned the lesson of not letting the sun go down on my anger as Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 instruct us, lest I give Satan an opportunity to use it as a stronghold in my life. I have a deep awareness now 
that as human beings, we all can hurt and wrong each other, and things can happen that will disappoint us. The question is, how are we going to respond to it? So many of us as believers have been conditioned to use defense mechanisms, ignore or living denial of our emotions and our pain. Sometimes we ignore these things by filling our life with more Bible study, more serving opportunities, and more spiritual activities. We also hear the phrases, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps or put your big girl panties on. It is what it is. And we keep going, neglecting to face our emotions and pain with radical honesty and transparency to God, to ourselves, and to others. Peter Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, advocates that we cannot be spiritually healthy without being emotionally healthy and vice versa. You cannot separate one from the other. When we face our emotions with radical honesty before God, in my case, anger, God begins to transform us into healthier image bearers and disciples of Christ. He uses our messes to become our message of His extravagant love, grace, mercy, and redemption to a fallen world. I want to close with this special memory I will always hold on to as a reminder of God's deliverance in my life. It's when a little brown-eyed girl came up to her mother, placed her hands on her mother's face, and said, Mommy, I love you, and I am so glad that Jesus made you better, and you don't get angry anymore. All praise be to God, who heals the brokenhearted, and he sets the captive free. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kimberly, for sharing that. You know, guys, one thing I know about Kim that inspires me is that I know that Jesus changes lives. You know, I came out of a background of drugs and drinking and craziness where God turned my life upside down. Kim came from a good family, a Christian home. And you know what? You know, you kind of think, you know, they're pretty good people already. How can they get any better? And God radically delivered Kim from the anger, and she really is a different person. Amen. But I don't share that because of Kim. I share it because of those who are listening, those that are here that may be stuck where she was right now. <laughs> Jesus really can set you free. He really is bigger than the strong man, and he came to destroy the works of the devil, and his spirit works to dismantle the works of the flesh, which anger is one of them. And I wanna encourage you this morning, this may be the morning you need to be radically honest with yourself and with somebody else, and especially with God about your, maybe your anger isn't towards God, maybe it is. I don't know who or what, but brothers and sisters, don't put it off another moment. Every moment we put it off, we give Satan more room to work, more troops to bring in, more ammo to bring in, more bunkers to dig, and to work destruction in us and through us. And just to add to something that Kim said, I wanna encourage you as I close with this, 
You know, Kim and I were claiming the armor. I was resisting the devil every day. We were praying. She was talking earlier on, this was the time uh, when we were having manifestations in our home. Satan was attacking very strongly against us when I first came in the ministry. And you know what? It wasn't until others came and prayed with us that God gave us the victory. Some are in this room. I can see them right now that were in our house that day praying for us and then met a year later to pray for me and my spiritual warfare as Satan turned it from our home onto me. And brothers and sisters, believe me, I was claiming the victory, I was claiming all this, but it wasn't until others joined with us that we found the victory. And there may be some of you here today, you need to realize God has given us the body of Christ to walk together. And if you're struggling with anger and you need somebody else to pray with you, find another believer, find an elder, come to a pastor, come to me afterwards or something, call somebody. Brothers and sisters, don't walk alone. Deal with it. Deal with it now. Be radically honest. And I want to encourage you that you not only need to confess your sin before God, but you need to resist the strong man and you need to resist him firm in faith. You need to take the victory God has given it and apply it by faith against the enemy and against the strategies he's using against your life to keep you in bondage to your anger and to work destruction through you. And we need to keep on resisting and keep on resisting and keep on resisting like I did for a year, year and a half with Kim until God moves in by whatever means he chooses. And that morning he chose a couple that was sitting right here in the auditorium and said, something is wrong here. We got to talk about this. And that morning, Jesus set Kim free. Just exhort you, guys, don't give Satan a place to work. Deal with your anger. Confess it and resist the devil and let Jesus not just teach you how to manage anger, but actually set you free from it. So Father, I just pray for these truths that I said, that these probably truths you don't hear often unless you look to God's word. And Lord, I just wanna pray right now that you would take the truths we heard today and Lord, would your Holy Spirit speak? Like I said, the men on the road to Emmaus, when you spoke, they didn't get it till you opened their minds. I ask you today, God, would you open minds to understand? Would you speak to hearts today? Would your Holy Spirit give the gift of conviction and show people that their anger no longer is righteous and they need to deal with it before you? So Lord, I just ask you for your own namesake, for the glory of your Son, for the furthering of your kingdom, for the cleansing of your people and the washing of your bride. Jesus, would you move into people's lives today and shine the light of the Holy Spirit and the word of God on their anger and bring them to repentance for the sake of their freedom and your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.